0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Game of Thrones, The Reign of David. This series looks at the reign of David in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Chronicles to learn from David's victories and failures to see how we can walk more closely with Jesus. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 and for uh, our guests and visitors or if you've been gone on vacation over the last few weeks, in our Game of Thrones series where we're, we're up to the, the part of uh, King David's reign, we've been looking at the life of King David and in 2 Samuel we saw that really for the first 10 chapters there's a lot of great stuff about David and, and many of uh, the ways that David can be an example to us in his faith and his walk. But then uh, the last two weeks, we've looked at 2 Samuel 11 and 12, where David's sin with Bathsheba is recorded, and then God's word back to David through the prophet Nathan. And what we're gonna do for the, this week and next week is we're going to look at two psalms that David wrote that history and tradition tell us are related to David's confession after he was confronted with his sin regarding Bathsheba and that's Psalm 51 this week and then Psalm 32 next week and we're going to take time to go through those because you can't really study David without studying his heart that comes out in the book of Psalms so we're going to be doing that so we're going to be looking at Psalm 51 this morning and uh, it'll be up here on the screen I'll be using the new international version or you can follow along in your booklet or your Bible or your device Psalm 51 Hear now the word of our covenant, gracious God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, And my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken And contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When we began looking at this little part in the series in 2 Samuel 11 a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that there's a cycle we often see that is very much like what we see in the life of David. And that is that a powerful, usually man, gets himself in trouble, finds himself in sexual sin, and then there's a very predictable pattern. And I even mentioned that very recently, a uh, church leader for whom I'd had a lot of respect was caught uh, having been committing sexual sin actually over several decades, apparently, and my heart sank when he first came out and responded to it because there's a typical pattern that you see, which is initially there's denial. There's, they kind of come out swinging. And then usually as more evidence mounts, they then start giving kind of a half-hearted confession. And it kind of dribbles out. Uh, over time. And that always breaks my heart when I see that because that pattern usually shows the person has not actually seen their sin yet. They haven't really grasped what's going on as they're going through that cycle. And it's important for us to understand what is real repentance and confession look like. But I want to be clear, the most important reason is not so that you and I can judge the confession of some politician or movie mogul or pastor that's been caught in sin, the real reason we need to understand this is so we understand confession and repentance in our own heart. Because that same cycle we see in them, if we're honest, you and I oftentimes go through it. I don't like confessing my sin. I don't like owning up to my sin, to God or to someone else. And so how do we do that? What does it look like in our life? We're going to spend the next two weeks looking at David's confession of sin, today in Psalm 51, and then his rejoicing and forgiveness in Psalm 32. And there are seven what are known as penitential psalms. There are seven psalms that have been identified in church history. And if you look at the notes on the website, I identify what all seven of them are. But the two greatest are Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And they also happen to be associated with, Uh, historically with David's sin with Bathsheba. And uh, we can tell this actually in the superscript to Psalm 51, which I did not read a moment ago. You notice it says that, uh, and it actually is listed as verse 0 in the NIV, for the director of music of Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, or some translations say after David had gone into Bathsheba. The superscripts are not actual scripture, they're later additions. editions uh, in there explaining kind of what the tradition was telling the Jews how these Psalms had come to be. And so even in a very conservative seminary like I went to, they'll tell you, we don't consider those scripture, but they are in general considered reliable and there are clear links between Psalm 51 and 1 Samuel 11 and 12 or 2 Samuel 11 and 12 as we're going to see in a few minutes. David uses some of the same phrases that Nathan had used to him that the Lord had spoke through Nathan to him, so we know that David's kind of reflecting on what had gone on there. And so for that reason we're going to look at Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 to remind ourselves of the nature of confession and repentance. So We're going to begin by looking at six traits that Psalm 51 lists for confession and repentance. Six traits of what confession and repentance look like. They're actually there in the booklet in your devotional guide. All six of them are written out for you. Again, you can get the stuff online, too, or you can take the notes as you go along. So let's take a look at the six of them. First, biblical confession and repentance, true confession and repentance, are based on God's grace. Notice how the psalm opens up. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, the psalm is a request for forgiveness and for cleansing Notice there at the end of verses 1 and 2, the part that's still in white, he's saying, I want you to blot out my transgressions. I want you to wash away all my iniquity. I want you to cleanse me from my sin. That's what David's really asking, but it's based on God's character, Notice right up front, before he even says what he wants, he says, God, I'm asking you to be merciful and gracious. The actual word that the NIV has translated here is have mercy, and they actually did when they translated the Hebrew into Greek. The the Hebrew word, however, is not mercy. It's actually be gracious to me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. And this is critical because our request for forgiveness is not based on something in us. It's not God forgive me because you know, my good deeds outweigh my bad. It's not forgive me because what I did is a little trifle. We're gonna see that's the opposite of what David is saying. What David is saying is I come to you and I confess because the first thing I know is you are a gracious and a kind and a merciful God. Because let's be honest, What's the point in requesting forgiveness from a person who is unforgiving? Why ask for mercy from someone who is not merciful? Why waste your breath? And so David does this not because he's worthy, nor because his sin was no big deal. He's not worthy, and his sin is a very big deal, as we've seen the last two weeks. He does it because God is of God's character. God is gracious and merciful. And notice, he points this out actually with three different terms. He says, "Have mercy or be gracious to me, O God, according to your unfailing love." For those of you who've been around for a while, this is that Hebrew word hased that I've mentioned before. It occurs in Psalm 23. It means God's covenant love, God's covenant mercies. If you remember Psalm 106 is The one where there'll be a line that'll say, for his love endures forever. You know, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, for his love endures forever. That's the word chesed, his love, his covenant faithfulness, his his mercy towards us. Chesed means God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. It's not just that he has some sort of emotion towards us, but God has love that does not give up. And so David says, I'm asking you to be gracious to me because you are a God of hesed. You are a God of unfailing, covenant, never stopping, always going on love. And then he says, according to your great compassion, you are a compassionate God. This is the first thing to understand about true confession and repentance is we don't have to fear confessing our sins because God is gracious. He is merciful, and He is faithful to forgive our sins. One of the reasons human beings hide, one of the reasons we repeat Adam and Eve's actions, and when we sin, we hide in the bushes, is because we don't think God's going to be gracious and kind. And we think He's not because you and I aren't. See, we hold on to sin. We don't forgive. We always have a price to be paid. There's always the, well, kind of I will. God's not that way. God is gracious. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is loving. He has a covenant love that sticks with David even through David's sin. And that is the basis of all true repentance and confession second fact and this is so important because everything else that's going to come on we're going to see how David is not going to minimize his sin he's going to lay it open but you can only do that if you understand how God is if you don't friends if you don't meditate on the gospel if you don't know the graciousness of God we are always going to be trying to minimize our sin because we're not afraid that we're afraid that his mercy's not more Okay, we think that somehow it's not greater than my sin. And if we think that, then we're always going to minimize our sin. But if we understand how great it is, then we can be free to do these other five steps. So secondly, after we recognize that it's based on God's grace, confession and repentance openly acknowledge sin. Notice verses 1 to 4. How many different ways David refers to his sin? In verse one, he refers to his transgressions. In verse two, he refers to his iniquity and to his sin. In verse three, he refers to his transgressions again and his sin again. And then in verse four, he says, I have sinned. And in verse four, he refers to his sin as evil. One of the commentators actually said, it's almost a compendium of every term that is used in the Hebrew scriptures for sin. David piles them all up here in the first four verses. He is saying in every way, my sin, it is evil. It is a transgression against your law. It is sin. It is iniquity, which actually means lawlessness in general. I'm a, I am set against your law. And notice here, which I've got highlighted in orange, it's not only that these things are out there, it is my transgressions, my sin my transgressions, my sin. Four times David says mine. You ever listen to some of these confessions that people will do, and they, you know, it's, I'm sorry you were offended by what I did. See, that's a non-confession confession, right? I'm sorry you feel the way you do. See, David doesn't do that. It is my sin. David is owning up He is openly acknowledging it. He's confessing my sin, and there is no excuse anywhere. There's nothing where David is making an excuse. True confession never seeks to cover or excuse sin, but openly acknowledges it and seeks forgiveness. See, that's the early part of the cycle I mentioned, that we can know when we're in that, we're not really repenting and confessing. We haven't really seen our sin. When I'm still looking for excuse. I sinned, but. Okay, well, I kind of did this, but, you know. See, David doesn't do any of that. It's my sin, my iniquity, my transgression, my evil. It's mine, I own it, and I confess it. Thirdly, confession is not only based on God's grace, it not only openly acknowledges sin, confession and repentance recognize that all sin is ultimately against God, and therefore is infinitely heinous and bad. There is no such thing as little sin which I hope over the last couple of weeks you've seen how bad sin is in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. It is not to be trifled with, and we're going to see the effects of it spilling out for the rest of this book. It's destructive, and it is because it's against God. So notice what David says in Psalm 51, verse 4. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, if you've read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, what should be the first question you might ask? Really, David? What about Uriah? I bet Uriah might think you sinned against him. I bet Bathsheba might think you sinned against her. I bet the people who got killed so that you could have Uriah knocked off might think you sins against them. I think Joab might think you sinned against him by dragging him into this mess. So why is David saying that? David is not saying no one else is involved. That's not his point. What he's getting at is that I I recognize that ultimately I sinned against all these other people because I was rebelling and sinning against you first. If I had not been a rebel to God and His law and His ways, I wouldn't have done to Bathsheba what I did to Bathsheba. I wouldn't have done to... Uriah, what I did to Uriah, I wouldn't have done to Joab and all the others what I did to them if first I had not sinned against God. This is why we can't minimize sin. Ultimately, when I would get angry with my children when they were young, I could try to deal with it and keep it on a level, you know, and very often, see, this is where it starts. Daddy, sorry, daddy got angry, but if you hadn't, right? I know none of y'all ever said that. Let me give some of my true confessions here, right? if you hadn't done this, Daddy wouldn't have responded that way. See, what David is teaching me here is no. I was angry because of my own sin and my own evil. And you know who I was really angry at? God, because he's not running the universe the way he ought to. Because if he was, this stuff wouldn't be going on right now. See, I don't like thinking of it that way. I mean, I'm not angry with God. Except I am. And David's sin with Bathsheba, remember God confronted him on this. You, all the stuff I gave you, and you thought it wasn't enough. And you reached out and took that which wasn't yours, because you weren't satisfied with everything I gave you. You despised me, you despised my word, you despised my gifts to you. Remember, that's what Nathan had told him. And so when David says this, he's saying, I'm realizing underneath it all, I was sinning against Yahweh. Notice he even says, I did what is evil in your sight. Remember that little phrase? We saw it three different times. Because remember David told Joab, hey, don't let this thing be evil in your sight. Everything Everything's going on. But at the end of chapter 11, we're told, but what David had done was evil in Yahweh's sight. And then when Nathan comes, The Lord specifically says, what you did, David, was evil in my sight. And so David here is confessing back and saying, I realize what I did against Uriah and Bathsheba is terrible, but I realize even infinitely more heinous is I did this against you. I sinned against you. And so he says, that's why you're right to judge me. God's not uh, an outside third party. All sin ultimately goes back to sin against God. So true confession and true repentance recognizes that all sin is ultimately rebellion against God and his law. And friends, when I'm in the midst of being confronted in my sin, I do not want to recognize this point. I want to believe it's an interpersonal conflict between you and me. I don't want to believe it's evidence of something wrong in my heart towards God because my heart, after all, is pure, right? See, David says, no. No, I realized something had gone wrong in my heart with God before it ever got wrong in my heart with Bathsheba. And that leads to the fourth point, which is that confession and repentance recognize the depth of sin in us. David actually started this and cues us in on this in the very first verse of the psalm. And I'm going to put it up here. And I I want you to see there's a little bit of an indent here. He's doing both what's known as a chiasm and parallelism, which are the key features in Hebrew poetry. And chiasm means the parts in orange orange go together and the parts in yellow go together. And so notice it goes how they refer to as A-B-B-A. Coming back out. And so notice what he says is, have mercy on me, which is the same thing as blot out my transgressions. When I'm asking you to have mercy, what I mean is get rid of my sin. But notice what's in the middle. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. So God's love and compassion are the same. The mercy and the transgressions. Blotting out the transgressions is the same. But notice, so what he's saying is, is have mercy on me. Because, see, my sin's not something external. I need mercy because I sinned. And so notice he's already saying there in verse 1, blot out my transgressions. Sin is not an external thing separate from me. I am a sinner. And please hear this. This is critical because I always want to believe when I'm shocked at my behavior that that's not the real me. That's just something I did. The real me is the other me. The real me is the one that dances before the ark of Yahweh as it comes in and I sing and praise with all my might. The real me is not the one that's committing adultery with Bathsheba and then putting a contract out and having Uriah knocked off. That's not the real me. But what David's saying is, no, that is the real me. It's my sin, my transgression. Notice how he brings this out very clearly in verses 5 and 6. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. David is saying, I was sinful from the moment of my conception, from my very first moments. And that is not a statement, Mom was doing something Mom ought not to have done. That's not what David's saying. What David is saying, if you want to put it in modern parlance, is, You know where my sin is? It's all the way down in my DNA. I am a sinner. This is the doctrine of original sin. We are sinful to our very core. You and I are born in sin. That's the way we are. Our culture does not want to hear this. We have all kinds of people who are saying, well, you're telling me this is sinful, but it's the way I feel. Well, welcome to the club. We all desire all kinds of things that are sinful and destructive. And that's not to be celebrated. It's a recognition that something is wrong. Something is twisted in us. And that's what David is recognizing here. Right down in our DNA. Friends, if you separate the strands of your DNA, they got sin written in them. So do mine. Every one of us. Oddly enough, they've also got the image of God written in them. But it is in those strands of DNA. It is who we are. And conversely, notice that's why David says you desire truth in the inner parts you teach me. That's not some strange turn or I just wanted to make a poetic phrase. What I realize is sin is all the way down at the very core of who I am. And so if I'm going to be healed, you've got to get truth all the way down into the core of who I am. Because the problem is not external. The problem arises right out of the deepest part of who I am. And I need you to deliver me from this. True confession, true repentance recognizes that my sinful actions are nothing other than expressions of my sinful nature. They are not mere random actions. And let's be honest, who likes to admit that? See, when I snap and say something at my wife that i ought not say everything in me wants to say but that's not the way i am but it is if it wasn't in there see what jesus say it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks see we were talking yesterday in our church history class about thomas jefferson cutting out all the miracles out of the new testament if i were going to do a brett hicks bible and take an exacto knife i'd be cutting out stuff like that not the miracles The things that say, oh, no, when you said that, that wasn't random. That's what was in your heart. That's why it came out. And when you acted that way, that wasn't random. That's arising right out of your DNA. It's who you are to your core. Do you see why it began with mercy and grace and compassion? If I don't believe in that, I can't recognize these other things. I I can't get to the core of the problem. David continues on. He gives us a fifth trait. And that is that confession and repentance desire to be forgiven and cleansed. Because it's not some just external thing. I've got to be forgiven and cleansed down inside. So notice what David says in verses 7 to 9. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And in verse 9, he says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. David is saying, I am stained. I am covered with sin. I recognize that it is all over me. And so I want you to cleanse me. I want you to wash me. I want you to hide your face and not see these things. I want you to blot out my sin. Do you hear David's cry? This is that song that we were singing this morning, um, His mercy is more, where it begins, what love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, but he counts not their sum. Here's the danger, friends. You don't even realize most of your sin, nor do I. We, We don't realize how deep it goes, how great it is, how covered we are with this stuff, but God knows every fiber of it. What hope do I have? In, in the face of that, that the omniscient, all-knowing God sees sins I've never even recognized are there. My only hope is his mercy is more. And so David recognizes this and he says, you've got to cleanse me, you've got to wash all this away. And he uses this, notice there he says, it's the same as verse 2, where he says, wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. He's going back to the Phrases he'd used before. He's also talked about blotting out before. And he uses this phrase here, cleanse me with hyssop. Who in here even knows what hyssop is? This is is where we don't understand some of these phrases, but see, it meant something to David's audience. Hyssop was used in two main things in the Old Testament. Number one, it was used if you were a leper, and you were covered, and you you were cast out of the community And then suddenly you were miraculously healed, and you came and you presented yourself before a priest. When he pronounced you clean, he took hyssop and dipped it, and he sprinkled on you and said, you are clean, your leprosy is gone. And David says, I am leprous. I am covered with this. It is eating me up inside and out, and I need you to take hyssop and cleanse me. The other thing it was used for was on the night of Passover, When the Passover lamb was slain and they took hyssop and they put it on the doorpost to say, I deserve the angel of death to come in here and grab me like he is grabbing everybody else, but I am trusting that the blood of the lamb will cover me and I will be forgiven and death will pass me over. And David, who remember, sat there. And what did David say that the man in Nathan's parable deserved? as surely as the Lord lives, this man ought to die. And David now stands there guilty and says, you know what I need? I need some blood on some hyssop to be sprinkled on me and to cover me because I deserve to die. The angel of death ought to come and grab me. But I am asking for hyssop to cover me and to make sure that I am forgiven. And so, True confession knows and desires that sin be cleansed and that it be removed, but what's the only way for sin to be removed? right The blood of Christ. see friends, when we realize how deep sin is, then I recognize all these other ideas of i'll try and have a better quiet time i'll do ten Hail Marys or I'll go out and make sure I give some money to somebody this week. That can't remove your sin. When you are standing there leprous, you need something to cleanse you. When the angel of death is running through the land and people are dying left and right, you better have something better than I had a good quiet time this morning. You better have blood covering you, removing your sin. And David realizes this is not a surface problem. And I need God to remove my sin. And that's what confession and repentance realize. And then it's concluded by David telling us that confession and repentance recognize the need for internal change that only God can bring about. So... Notice what he says in verses ten to twelve: "Created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me." So notice, this isn't random. This isn't changing. Follow what David's saying. I have recognized God; you are gracious and merciful, but I am covered with sin, and this sin's not external. It's me. It goes down to my DNA. It is. It is awful before you, and I need you to purify me and cover me. But God, I realize I got to be changed inside because the fact is. I did this when I was already in covenant with you. I was already your child. You had already given me great promises, and I still behave this way. I need you to change me. So create in me a pure heart, or renew a steadfast spirit. And notice here, the create in me a pure heart is not David saying I'm not a believer. Okay, It's parallel to renew a steadfast spirit within me. So the creation's not that I've never had a pure heart, what he's saying is, I need you to, my my heart's gotten covered with sin. It's gotten hard towards you. My spirit is, is fallen away from you. I need you to renew it. I need you to strengthen it. I need you to make it right. David here is recognizing he needs an inner renewal because David has realized, I thought I was okay, but if I was okay, I would have never ended up where I ended up something was wrong inside the reason i fell so deeply in sin was my heart had drifted far from god even while i was outwardly going through the motions remember all of this took the better part of a year david did not skip going to the tabernacle for a year he didn't skip doing all the other things for a year he was doing the outward motions But he's now realizing, but something was sick inside. And God, I need you to create and renew. If you go through the Psalms, the funny thing is, many, many times David had prayed for God to change his external situation and to deal with his enemies. David's now realized his biggest problem is internal. And his biggest enemy is looking right back out of the mirror. His sin is in his DNA. And if he's going to be delivered, God has to deliver him. It cannot be done by anyone else. And so notice there, he continues in verse 11 and says, Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Now, in part, David's praying because what happened when Saul sinned? Remember, the spirit of the Lord left Saul and an evil spirit came upon Saul. Saul heart. David's praying that, God, I saw what happened to Saul. Don't do that. But he's also praying if David's heart's going to be changed, who's going to have to do that? The Holy Spirit. Can I change my own heart? It's like when a young child comes in and they're, you, know, you, you see them do it. They get stuff all over their hands and they're all grubby and then they're trying to clean themselves off. And what are they doing? Just spreading dirt around, right? And what do parents say? Stop that. <laughs> Let me clean you You're a mess. You can't clean yourself. But see, that's what we are. David is saying, I can't clean my own heart. The more I try, the more messy it gets. I need you to clean me. I need your Holy Spirit to clean me and to do this. And all of it, he says, will restore to me the joy of salvation and give me a spirit that longs to follow close after you. Because true confession realizes sin arises from deep within, and so it seeks full cleansing and restoration of the heart. Because if I'm truly repentant, I don't want to be back in the same place tomorrow. If David's truly repentant, he doesn't want to say, okay, well, I got Bathsheba. Now, you know, I've been kind of looking at Joab's wife. Right? But if I'm not going to end up back there, there's got to be change inside, not just externally. So these are the The traits of confession, I'm going to come back to them in a couple of minutes, but David then moves on to the fruits of confession and repentance, and there's only two of these. First, if you've truly repented and confessed and gone through everything we've seen and you've received this cleansing from God, the first fruit of that is confession and repentance lead us to tell others of God's grace. Notice David takes another turn that if you're not following the psalm, you're like, well, this was kind of a weird turn. But it's not. He's following a process here. And that is in verse 13. Then, God, when you have cleansed me, when you have washed me, when you have renewed me and done all of these things, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. See, David realizes He's not alone in his need of forgiveness. David's the man after God's own heart. David's the guy that Yahweh has made covenant with and said, Messiah will come through you. And David realizes that if I'm in this place, guess who else is? All kinds of people around me are. And so he says other people need forgiveness because everyone has sinned and everyone has fallen short. And those who've confessed and repented and have received grace and mercy and forgiveness are quick to tell other people because they receive, They realize that they need mercy and forgiveness too. When you've come out of something and God has delivered you and you see other people in that same thing, how could you not have pity to tell them you don't have to walk around like I was walking around? We'll see next week in Psalm 32, David said, it was like my bones were, were wasting away when I was trying to hide my sin. And David says, now that I've come clean, and you've forgiven me, first thing I want to do is tell other people because I know they are laboring under it. And friends, let me tell you something. Everyone around you is dealing with this. People who deny that God exists and who don't believe in a concept of sin, they are still wrestling with the fact that sin is wreaking all kinds of havoc in their lives. And they are under conscience and God's law. And so you and I need to speak the grace and mercy of God to them. One thing that we're changing a little bit in the devotional guide is if if you notice in it each week now the last question is some form of this. Can you think of someone with whom you can share what you've learned this week? Pray for them and ask God to open a door for you to share his word this week. You have friends around you who are laboring under sin. And their greatest fear is that there is an omniscient, all knowing God, and he is counting the sum of their sins. And so they're doing everything they can to hide that. And what they need to hear from us is oh, it's worse than you thought. He knows ones you don't even know about, but it's also better than you thought because his mercy is more. Come clean. Think about that. Look, it's the first thing that confession does. There is nothing sweeter or more freeing than receiving the freedom of forgiveness from God. And when we have that, we ought to share that with others. You have good news that your neighbors need. Share it with them. Second fruit is confession and repentance lead to praise and worship. Notice what David says in verses 14 and 15. "'Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise.'" Now, notice there, the blood, what's he referring to? Uriah. I got blood on my hands. God, if you're saving me from that, I am going to sing your praise.'" True confession opens the mouth to sing and speak the praise of God. If somebody really doesn't want to worship, I question how much they've recognized their sin. Because when you realize how deep your sin is and how great God's mercy is, you want to praise Him. It's just the natural outflow of confession and repentance. Now, Also, notice here, in touch with what David had said about sin going down to the heart, worship needs to come out of the heart as well. And so this isn't some external ritual, but it's welling up from a heart that's broken and contrite before God. Notice in verses 16 and 17, he says, "'You don't delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. "'You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. "'The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, "'a broken and contrite heart, O God, "'you will not despise.'" And the word contrite there actually goes back to where he said you crushed my bones back in like verse 8. It's the same Hebrew word. And he's saying God you've done this work in me and that's what you want. David is not saying sacrifice and offerings are wrong and we're going to see in a minute he's going to come back to it. But he knows more than ever now that they mean nothing unless they arise from a heart that is full of gratitude for the grace of God. Remember David for a year has been going through the motions. And he's saying that's not what you're after. What you're after is true worship that arises from the heart. This is the same thing the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 12, remember when he's surveyed the gospel for 11 chapters, Paul in Romans 12:1 says this, "'Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, "'to offer your bodies as," what? "'Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God.'" This is your spiritual act of worship. What Paul's getting is that's what God's looking for. He wasn't really interested in bulls and goats. He's really looking for us to be a living sacrifice. David's saying the same thing. I realize it's got to come out of the heart. But he then turns in the last two verses of the psalm and says, When there's true gratitude in the heart, make no mistake, it will show up in external acts of worship with the people of God. We, we, there's two ditches to avoid. One's just doing the external act. The other is saying, I have the right internal heart. I don't need to do the external act. And so David comes back in verses 18 and 19 and says, in your good pleasure, make Zion prosper, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there's going to be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David's saying here the overflow of receiving God's grace is a concern to see Zion, the church, the, the city of God, the people of God prosper and be strong. And notice he says, when this happens, there's gonna be all of these things I just said you didn't care about. You weren't concerned about that because you weren't concerned about it just being external. But when people are cleansed and renewed and their heart is changed, they're going to come together as the people of God and they are going to offer you worship. External worship and I put worship in quotes here. External worship with God's people without internal renewal of the heart is a rotting corpse of false religion. But internal worship that does not lead to gathering with the local church to worship God is simply an anorexic faith. Neither of those are healthy. Neither of those are what God desires. What he desires is recognition of where my sin's at, internal cleansing that leads to me then praising God with a whole company of people that have been through this. This is what we do every Sunday morning. We're simply a group of people that have recognized the depth of our sin and that God graciously meets with us. Each and every week. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. It's why we pray. It's why we sing to him. It's why we come to the Lord's table. We open his word because we're simply learning and hearing who God is and what he's done. Now, we're going to apply the word this morning actually at the table. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to put up on the screen here first the uh, ideas of true confession and repentance. So if you can put up the next screen, Beth, this is the six things that are true of confession and repentance. It's based on God's grace. It openly acknowledges sin. It recognizes that all sin is ultimately against God. It recognizes the depth of sin inside us, inside me. It desires my sin to be forgiven and cleansed. And it recognizes The need for internal change that only God can bring about. So look at those six for a moment. Because what we're going to do this morning again, we're in a season here, of we're asking God to reveal our sin to us. And when we do this, I want us to be open and confess what this means. And it may be that God brings up a co-worker that you gossiped about or a way you spoke to a spouse or a child, or it may be something you just thought in your mind that was not appropriate before God. We need to recognize all of these facts. I'm going to ask us, and in a moment what we're going to do is we're going to pray parts of Psalm 51 together when we come to the Lord's table. But what we're thinking of is those specific things that God brings to mind, and we're saying, I'm going to openly acknowledge my sin." I am going to recognize that my sin, even if I spoke harshly to my child or I gossiped about a neighbor, who's my sin ultimately against? God. That person's the image of God. And I'm striking out at who he is. And I'm recognizing the depth of my sin. Don't walk out of here and think, it's just, you know, that's not the real me. Yeah, it is. That's the real me. We're asking God to cleanse and forgive us, and we're going to ask him to change us from within. And I want to, that, that very first one I want to highlight. I'm asking you to, I, I can't say maximize your sin because you can't maximize what's already maxed out, but to not try and minimize it. But here's why you can have confidence to do this, friends. Beth, can you put that, that last screen back up one more time? The, the, no, the other one, Go, yes, because it's based on God's grace. We're going to come to this table because it's going to remind you the reason you can openly acknowledge your sin, the reason you can do those other five is broken body and shed blood. Not because you had a good week. Not because your good deeds outweigh your bad. Not because you said three nice things for the one bad thing you said. But because of God's grace, his mercy is more. So I invite us to come to the table this morning to confess our sins and to receive God's mercy and grace. Again, you do not have to be a member of our congregation to participate in the Lord's Supper. You do need to be a believer in the Lord Jesus. If you are, you may participate along with us. We'll also let both our regulars and our guests know we do have a gluten-free option when we start passing out the bread. If you just raise your hand, we'll give you gluten-free bread to go along with that. So I'm gonna go through the words of institution and what the Lord has given us, call us to confess and look at our sins, and then when we get the elements, we'll hold on, and we're going to together pray parts of Psalm 51 And then we'll take the bread. We'll pray parts of Psalm 51 and take the cup and parts of Psalm 51 uh, to conclude as well. So, what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and he said, "'This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.'" Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats or drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, We would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. Friends, let us openly confess our sins to God and receive his forgiveness. Father, we thank you for this covenant meal. Lord, we thank you for this table of confession and repentance. Send your Holy Spirit. Speak to us of anything we would need to confess so that we can come clean before you, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you get the elements, please hold on to them, and again, we will take them together in just two or three minutes. What we're going to do, if you can stand, let's please stand together, and we're going to have parts of Psalm 51 come up here on the screen, just excerpts out of it, and we're going to pray this together to confess our sins to God. I'll give a brief prayer at the end, and then we'll take the bread together and do the same with the cup. Let's confess our sins to God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Lord, we have confessed our sins, and now we look to Christ as our only source of righteousness. Hear our prayer and clothe us with the righteousness of of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take and eat. Now we will ask for cleansing together again out of the words of Psalm 51. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, we know that the only way for us to be clean is through the blood of Christ. Cleanse us by the blood of Jesus, our Passover lamb, and remove the spiritual leprosy of the stain of sin. Cleanse us without and within by the power of your Holy Spirit. Take and drink. And now we'll close again with some words from Psalm 51. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Lord, we have received your great mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have cleansed us of sin stain, and you have freed us from its power. You have renewed our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, open our mouths to declare your praise and to spread your gospel. May we be vessels of your mercy this week that others might hear and come to know our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask this in His name, and God's people say, Amen. Now receive the blessing of God. May God our Savior help you for the glory of His name. May He deliver you and forgive all your sins. For his name's sake, go forth in the spirit of Christ to spread the good news of God's mercy and grace. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.